According to the Department of Energy, nearly one out of every six workers in the ethanol industry is a veteran, three times the rate of the national labor force. The concentration of vets in the ethanol industry is higher than any other segment of the energy industry. Army veteran Jeff Cooper is president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, the leading trade association for America's ethanol industry. Jeff was a captain in the U.S. Army, specializing in bulk petroleum supply and logistics. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does, it's who they are. Make your financial goals a reality with great rates and low fees. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, we're talking with Army veteran Jeff Cooper, who's president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, uh, thanks for being here. Looking forward to hearing a pretty interesting story. I'd like to hear about this and the ethanol industry. But before we do all that, take us back and tell us what you did in the Army. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Joe. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat with you this afternoon. Uh, yeah, I, I joined the Army. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant the day after I graduated college in May of 1998. So I went to, to college in, in Iowa on a Army ROTC scholarship. Um, and like I said, the day after graduation, got commissioned and, and immediately went to Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, spent a few months there, and then from there went to Fort Lee, Virginia, which uh, was the home of the Quartermaster Corps. And uh, I was in the 240th Quartermaster Battalion and stationed there at Fort Lee for about four years. And the mission, the purpose of, of our battalion was uh, strictly around petroleum product supply and logistics. Uh, so in other words, getting fuel wherever it was needed on the battlefield, that's what uh, our unit did. We had a company that um, operated fuel system supply points. We had a company... Uh, the company I was in uh, that actually designed and constructed and was able to operate up to 90 miles of high pressure pipeline that would move petroleum products um, inland from ports, uh, you know, in, inland to, to uh, uh, tactical petroleum terminals uh, forward on the battlefield. So it was really a, a unique unit uh, in the in the army um, and you know, really opened my eyes to just how reliant our military is on uh, fuels of all sorts. Uh, and, and again, our mission was, you know, refueling everything from M1A1 Abrams tanks to helicopters to the smallest generators on the battlefield to the largest generators. I mean, everything that that required some sort of fuel, it was our job to to make sure we were getting fuel to that equipment. We also had a company that uh, that ran a fleet of 5,000-gallon tanker trucks. Um, so fuel convoys were another part of, of what our, our, our battalion did. Uh, so it, very interesting experience for, for a, a young kid from Wyoming, uh, fresh out of college, to, to be in that environment and learning about uh, the importance of of energy to our military um, at, at a young age. And, and so it was a great experience for me. Uh, some of some of the greatest memories and, and greatest uh, experiences in my life uh, were during my four years in the Army. 
Um, I did get out in, in May of, of 2002 and uh, moved to St. Louis, where I, where I still currently reside. Awesome. Yeah, you're a, a bulk fuel and logistics MOS, like feeds really well into what you're doing now with the Renewable Fuels Association. So talk about your transition out of the Army, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, and how that went for you. Well, yeah, there was certainly plenty of, of bad and ugly and, <laughs> and ultimately good with, with my transition yeah. um, out of the Army. We, we I, I, in college, met a girl from the St. Louis area. And so when we were making the decision to leave the military, uh, looking for, you know, what to do with the, the next chapter of our lives and, and kind of cast a wide net looking for jobs and opportunities. Uh, my wife uh, found a good job uh, right away back here in St. Louis. Uh, so this is where we came and, and it took me a little while to, to end up on my feet, but we actually, I, I found a, a, a job at the National Corn Growers Association, which is headquartered here in St. Louis. Uh, and I'm a farm kid. I grew up on a farm and ranch in, in Wyoming. Um, so I, I had a pretty good idea of what these ag uh, commodity associations were all about. And, and so when that opportunity presented itself, um, I threw my hat in the ring for a job there. And, and this was, again, around 2003 or so. Um, and, and right at that time is when we were beginning to see the real beginning of the boom in ethanol production here in the U.S. Uh, we had a situation where farmers across the country were really pooling their resources together and building these facilities um, to take corn they were producing and not getting much money for it at that time, you know, dollar fifty, two dollars a bushel. In many cases, farmers were losing money. They were producing corn and selling it at below their cost of production. So they were looking for ways to add value to that crop and 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 do you know create a new market. Um, and that's what they were doing with the ethanol industry. And and I was at the Corn Growers Association right at the beginning of that boom. Uh, I've seen the ethanol industry develop tremendously over the past 20 years. It, it has grown uh, substantially since that time to the point where we have about 200 facilities in operation across the U.S. today uh, in 26 different states. Uh, we're providing more than 10% of our nation's gasoline supply or fuel supply. Um, and, and so it's been just a, a ph phenomenal journey for me since leaving the Army. And again, some of those skills I learned um, and, and interests, things I, I, I really picked up on while I was in the army transferred very well to my current position at the renewable fuels association. I left, uh, the corn growers association around 2007 or eight and started the renewable fuels association's office here in St. Louis, Missouri. And then about four or five years ago, I transitioned into the president and CEO, uh, role for this organization. And, and what we do at RFA is we are the the voice, really the representative uh, for ethanol producers across the U.S. And so we represent their interests in Washington, D.C., on, on policy and, and regulatory matters. Uh, but we're also the organization that helps increase awareness and, and promote uh, the benefits of using ethanol in our fuel supply and one of those benefits that is very near and dear to my heart is just the contribution we make to enhancing energy security, reducing the reliance on imported energy and, and specifically imported petroleum products. Um, and so, again, that all ties 
uh, in a roundabout way back to what I was doing in the Army uh, more than 20 years ago. I'm curious, can, like, what, how, what level of detail do you know about the history of uh, ethanol and corn? If you, like, go back to, back to the beginning before ethanol was around and, and what ethanol has done to uh, stabilize the corn market. So, you know, corn is a commodity, which means, yeah. commodity basically means the price is set nationwide or worldwide. Uh, you as a farmer don't really get control over the price of what you're growing. Um, commodities are, have that set pricing. Has ethanol helped stabilize or increase the price of corn, which, you know, is great if you're a farmer producing corn. Maybe it's not so great if you're a consumer buying corn. But can you talk a little bit about those, uh, um, you know, those aspects of the ethanol industry? Yeah, I'm absolutely happy to do that. And and believe it or not, ethanol as a motor fuel has been around uh, for more than a century. Um, Henry Ford and and actually Thomas Edison um, and other you know inventors that that everybody knows uh, understood the value and 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 experimented quite a lot with the use of ethanol as a motor fuel. In fact, uh, Henry Ford's Model T was designed and engineered to run on fuel ethanol, fuel alcohol that was fermented, could be made basically from any crops on the farm. Um, so, so ethanol, you know, ethanol's beginnings go back that far. Uh, obviously, uh, ethanol fell out of favor as a motor fuel during prohibition, believe it or not, um, because you, you know, you couldn't get, you, it was illegal to, to, for people to own alcohol, um, for any purpose really at that time. And, and, uh, that's when we saw petroleum fuels really get a foothold, uh, in the U S marketplace. But more recently, if you look back the last 30 or 40 years, that's when we've really seen the emergence of the modern ethanol industry. Um, and as I mentioned before, part of the, the foundation of the industry, part of the reason it came into being is because farmers are increasingly efficient. They're growing more corn on the same amount of land every single year. Those, those yields are going up each and every year because of better seed technology, better farm equipment. Um, and so they were ending up with larger and larger supplies of corn and demand was not keeping up. Uh, and so we were in a situation in the 80s and, and 90s where we had massive surpluses uh, of corn and the price was, you know, in the gutter, well below what it cost farmers to produce. And, and so we had a situation where in order to stay afloat at that time, uh, farmers were highly reliant on the government for you know subsidies and and loans and other things to to keep them um, keep them whole and in many cases even those programs didn't do a good job of of doing that so uh, one of the interests or one of the real drivers behind the development of the ethanol industry was creating a new market for that surplus production and it has succeeded very much in doing so and it, you know ethanol has really transitioned the corn market from being uh, driven by surplus and, and oversupply to a demand-driven marketplace uh, where farmers are getting their income from the marketplace rather than from the government. Uh, and this industry has absolutely added value to the crops they're producing. You know, to the extent where kind of prior to the ethanol industry existing, you know, $2 per bushel corn was about average. That was fairly normal for what you'd see. 
uh, today in the last you know 10 to 15 years, we've sort of been in the four to five dollar per bushel range. Uh, and, and again, a big part of that added value is coming from the demand that is a result of of ethanol production. The wow. ethanol industry uses about 35, 36 percent of the U.S. corn crop. So it is a big demand driver today. Ah, that was going to be my next question. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. As a member-owned not-for-profit, Navy Photo puts members at the heart of every single thing that they do. They get the military. Low fees and great rates, resources to help you crush financial goals, 24-7 access to stateside member service representatives with award-winning customer service. Members can enjoy an average credit card APR that's 6% lower than the industry average, earning in savings of $473 per year by banking with Navy Federal, a market-leading regular savings rate nearly two times the industry average. Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members for using their cards. You can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with a cash rewards card when you sign up for a direct deposit. When you use the Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. Low intro APR offers. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Insured by NCUA. Credit card value claim based on 2022 internal average APR assigned to members compared to advertised industry APR average published on creditcards.com. Our market leading regular savings rate is almost or nearly two times the industry average. Open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. If you're a small business owner, this is for you. Running a business is just plain hard. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of it. I want to tell you about Gusto. Gusto built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll, benefits, and more. They help over 300,000 businesses by taking the pain out of tasks like automated payroll tax filing, direct deposit, health insurance administration, 401k, onboarding tools, you name it. Gusto makes it easy. And they really care about the small business owners they work with. Their support team is attentive and helpful. And since money can be tight right now, you'll even get three months free. Just go to gusto.com slash veteran and start setting up your business today. You'll see what I mean when I say easy. Again, that's three months of free payroll at gusto.com slash veteran. All right, we're back talking with Army veteran Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Jeff, right for the break, um, you answered my question before I asked it. You said 30 to 40% of the corn produced in the U.S. goes towards making ethanol. Um, so the rest of that, I'm assuming, goes towards uh, food and other uses, either for you know, animal or humans? That's right. About 50% of the corn produced in the U.S. Uh, goes to feeding livestock. Like I said, about 35 40% goes to, to the ethanol industry, and the remainder is, is exported. Uh, there is a small amount of corn, uh, field corn, that is processed into human food products, but not very much. Right? You know, one, one thing that people often get confused is they think the corn we're using for ethanol is sweet corn. They, they think it's the same corn they're eating at picnics in the summertime. Um, it's not. It's a completely different variety of corn. Yeah. Uh, we use what's called field corn, uh, which is typically, you know, animal feed. Um, we don't use sweet corn to produce ethanol. So there's really, we're, we're not taking corn away from your 4th of July picnic uh, to, to make ethanol. It's a completely different uh, uh, variety of corn. But the other thing I'd mention, and this is very important, when we take a 56-pound bushel of corn and put it into the front end of an ethanol plant, uh, we're getting three products out of that bushel of corn. 
We're getting ethanol. We're getting about three gallons of ethanol for that bushel. But we're also getting back about a third of that bushel, 17 or 18 pounds, as a processed animal feed. And what it actually does is it concentrates the protein, it concentrates the fat uh, that was in that original corn. And so we're only using the starch that's in the corn to make ethanol. Everything else, the protein, the fat, the, the fiber, that all remains available to the animal feed market. And so, you know, our ethanol facilities are producing ethanol. They're producing this distiller's grains, animal feed. Uh, and then the other thing that comes out of the fermentation process is CO2. Uh, and in many cases, our ethanol facilities are capturing that CO2 because it's used as a product for dry ice manufacturing or, or beverage carbonation. You think about the bubbles in your beer. That's CO2 that very likely came from, uh, from an ethanol plant. So those are the products that come out of our process. And again, uh, when, when we say 35 or 40% of, of corn is used for ethanol, that's only part of the story. Uh, we're, we're getting other products uh, from that corn that's being processed by these facilities. Yeah, that's interesting. And what has, uh, you know, knowing that 35 to 40% of field corn that's grown is going into the ethanol industry, um, what's that done to stabilize the commodity of corn? Or you said earlier that the prices have risen uh, gradually over the, over the last several years. Um, but is it, is it a more predictable commodity because of that? It, it is. We, we, it is. We've really seen a lot of that kind of up and down volatility in demand come out of, uh, of the marketplace the, the last 10 or 15 years because, um, again, the, the ethanol industry is providing very stable, very predictable demand for around 5 billion bushels of, of corn each year, or even a little more than that. And again, I talked about 35, 40% of our corn going into that marketplace. Well, again, the overall supply of corn continues to grow. And so we're not removing corn or, or diverting corn from other historical uses like animal feed or exports. We're just taking the, 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 the new surplus amounts of corn that are being produced every year uh, and putting that toward ethanol production. And, you know, obviously that is having a, a positive impact on our fuel supply by reducing the cost of our gasoline, by providing a cleaner burning alternative, a higher octane alternative. Um, so we, we see it as, as a win-win, not only for agriculture and, and for farmers, uh, but certainly for, for everybody who buys gasoline uh, in this country. And that's just about everybody. Is the ethanol today much different than you know the ethanol 20, 30 years ago? Uh, the product itself is is the same. Uh, you know, chemically, it's the same product we were producing forty years ago. It's the same product that that Henry Ford was was experimenting with a hundred years ago. Uh, what is different is the efficiency of the process to make ethanol. Um, and today, like I said, we're getting about three gallons of ethanol out of every 56-pound bushel of corn. 20 years ago, that was maybe two gallons a bushel. Um, and, you know, more energy was needed to, to uh, perform that conversion. Today, we're seeing extremely uh, efficient facilities. These are high-tech facilities. These are not... Um, you know, this is not the still in on the hill in 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 the in the hollow in Kentucky or West Virginia. These are very high tech facilities making fuel grade alcohol. Interesting, Matt. This is more of a farmer question than ethanol. 
does the yield per acre, you know, how much can that vary depending on the farmer's field itself and, and their farmer's efficiency? It, it does vary. Um, if based on your soil type, based on the weather primarily is the big factor that determines what a farmer's yield is going to be. Um, but we have seen, just to give you an example, this, this last year, the U.S. average corn yield was around 170, 580 bushels per acre. Um, so that's what the farmer was getting on average. Now you go to places like Iowa, Illinois, uh, that have the, the the best climatic conditions, the best soil types, they're getting you know closer to 200 bushels on average per acre in those areas. But if you go back 40 years, farmers on average were getting 100 bushels per acre, 110 bushels per acre. Wow. So you can see they have not you know not quite doubled, but but close to double the amount of corn they're producing per acre of land in the last 40 or 50 years. And again, that all is, is due to advances in seed technology, the application of biotechnology in, in, in agriculture, uh, better fertilization techniques and products, better farm equipment. Again, these tractors today are not like they were 40 years ago when, when I was growing up on the farm, very high tech uh, machinery. And that all helps with the efficiency of the process. So, um, Again, this varies widely, but uh, using looking at those numbers, are, is a, a farmer who pr- primarily produces corn on his land are, are they able to are they able to make a living? Are they able to pull it off? And I suppose that always means you know, like did he have to buy the land or was it inherited with the family? Um, can and what the expenses are, but are, are farmers who primarily are corn growers are they are they making ends meet? The, the short answer is yes. Um, and, and USDA, the Department of Agriculture, uh, has very detailed statistics on the health of the farm economy. And what they've shown in the last 10 to 15 years is uh, farm income has risen substantially during that period. And the farm economy is in great shape today. Um, and we strongly believe that a big part of that is the emergence of ethanol and other renewable fuels as a new market and a new demand source uh, for those facilities. But, but yes, uh, you know, the average farm family today is, is in much better economic health than it was certainly prior to the existence of, of the ethanol industry. Think back to the 90s and certainly the 80s. Those were really rough times. Uh, for the family farmer, rough times for the farm economy. Um, and, you know, even though we've seen inflation and, and some, some challenges in the economy uh, in the last five to 10 years, uh, farmers are doing quite well. And, and again, if you look at those metrics from the Department of Agriculture, uh, they reflect that, that, that net farm income, not just gross income, but net farm income is, is up quite significantly uh, during the period of sort of this boom in, in biofuels. Uh, as far as vehicles using ethanol these days, I know like back in the early days of ethanol, a lot of automobile manufacturers, they didn't design their cars to really run on 10% ethanol. They were assuming 100% regular gas. Uh, I think there, and there was a, a cost associated with that of running ethanol through some of whether it be, uh, you know, seals and gaskets didn't take the ethanol very well. I mean, I'm just kind of making stuff up here. Uh, but I think nowadays the manufacturers' cars are made with the assumption that you might be running ethanol through it. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, is there really a degradation 
or or a or a maintenance hit on your vehicles, certain types of vehicles, if you're running uh, through with that ethanol gas. Yeah, a great question, and it's one that we get a lot. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that about 99 percent of gasoline consumed in this country has ethanol in it, uh, and that's typically 10 percent ethanol, E10, and that's that is today. I mean, that's what gasoline is. Uh, it it is uh, E10. 10% ethanol blends. Every vehicle on the road today was designed to use E10. Um, it, it is warranted by the manufacturer for that fuel. Uh, no issues whatsoever. And it's really been that way since the mid-90s. Automakers have been uh, building vehicles that are capable and, and compatible with, uh, with at least 10% ethanol. What we've seen in the last decade is more and more automakers are building vehicles that are compatible with higher levels uh, of ethanol. And right now, uh, 15% ethanol blends are really growing in the marketplace. And about, if you look at new vehicles, you know, model year 2023, 95% plus of those vehicles being sold, again, are designed by the automaker, warranted by the automaker to consume up to 15% ethanol blends. So that's really the direction we see this marketplace headed uh, moving forward is, is transitioning from today's current average of 10% ethanol up to an average of 15% ethanol. And then we have, you know, what's called flex fuel vehicles uh, that are capable of operating on up to 85% ethanol. And I, I drive a Ford F-150 um, that is a flex fuel vehicle. I can put 85% ethanol in that vehicle, and I often do. Um, and it operates just fine. It was designed for that fuel, and it, and it, it works great uh, in my engine, provides more horsepower, uh, and, and certainly cleaner emissions as well. That's funny because I think I see the I think some of the vehicles we've owned have even been E85 vehicles, and I, I assumed it was 85% gasoline and 15% ethanol. I had no idea it was 85% ethanol. I guess that's what the E stands for. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So where where do you find Eighty-five percent ethanol gas. I've never, I've never really paid attention or looked for it. But you find it at most regular gas stations. No, unfortunately, you don't. And that's that's one of the the challenges that we're facing in the industry today. There, just to give you an idea, there's about one hundred twenty-five thousand gas stations nationwide. One hundred twenty-five thousand. Um, out of that number, about six thousand sell E eighty-five fuel. Um. So, you know, we're, we're four or 5% of, of the nation's gasoline are offering E85. Even fewer than that offer E15, which is what we talked about earlier. Um, E15 today is offered at about 3,500 gas stations. So, uh, you know, we have a long way to go, uh, but, but plenty of room to grow these markets. And we are seeing growth every year in the number of stations that are offering those fuels. Um, when a new station is being built today, in many cases, they are building in the compatibility and the ability to sell these higher blends of, of ethanol, whether that's E15 or E85, or in many cases, both. Typically, ethanol gas is cheaper than the 100% gas from what I've seen uh, when I'm paying attention. So does that mean that a gallon of ethanol right now is typically running cheaper or significantly cheaper than a gallon of uh, regular gas? 
Yeah, you're exactly right about that. And, and it's been that way for really the, the last 10 or 12 years. Ethanol has consistently been priced below gasoline. Uh, so if you go to the wholesale level, the bulk you know, terminal level where these fuels are blended together, um, ethanol is consistently 50 cents a gallon or less, uh, or, or I'd say, or, or greater, um, less than, than gasoline prices. So today, I just looked uh, yesterday, we, we have ethanol selling at the wholesale level at around $1.50 a gallon. Um, gasoline is at, at around $2 a gallon at the wholesale level. So obviously, when you blend greater levels of that lower cost fuel, it's going to have the effect of reducing the price for the consumer once that fuel gets to the pump. Um, and that's what we see. If you, if you go to a gas station that is selling ethanol-free gasoline um, and E10, you're going to see about a 40 or 50 cent per gallon difference between those two fuels at, at, at retail. And especially if you're you know, around water where people are looking for ethanol-free gasoline for their boats or, or marine engines, you're going to see that, that fuel carry a significant premium to ethanol blended gasoline. And I think it really underscores the point that the lowest cost fuel you're going to find at any gas station you go to is going to be the fuel with the most ethanol in it. Wow. So uh, how do we get more information on uh, the Renewable Fuels Association? Uh, several ways to do that. We're, of course, on all the social media channels, whether that's uh, Twitter, or I guess what they used to call Twitter is now X, yeah. uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all those channels, we've got a, a, a good presence. But our website is the best place to go to for all the information and resources you could imagine on ethanol. And that is ethanolrfa.org. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I do want to give you the last word. Uh, working a little bit of, uh, at the beginning, I mentioned on the intro that there are more veterans working in the renewable or renewable fuels industry than any other sector of the energy industry on some as many as six times as much as other sectors. If somebody's getting out and they're looking to get involved, maybe employment opportunities or other, uh, other business opportunities involved with that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Absolutely. And, and that's why I was so excited to, to, to come on your, your program uh, the Department of Energy a few years ago did a survey across all of the different segments of the energy industry uh, just to get a, a better sense of the demographics of who's working in energy today in the U.S. And one of the questions they asked is, are you a veteran of the U.S. military? Uh, well, 15 percent of workers in the ethanol industry identified as being veterans. Um, and that is three times the national average across all sectors of the economy. Um, and it's significantly higher than other segments of the energy industry. And so when we got those results, it sort of got us thinking about why, why is that? Why are veterans attracted to employment in the ethanol industry? And we think there's several reasons for that, but it you know, obviously boils down to the fact, uh, and you know this and I know this, but that, that when women and men uh, in uniform are leaving the military and they start looking for jobs in the private sector, they're looking for more than a paycheck. Uh, they're looking for rewarding work. They're looking for a, a tight-knit team. They're looking for a, a mission th that they believe in. Uh, they want their work to have meaning. They want to continue using those skills, those leadership skills they were taught in the military. Um, and we think that a lot of veterans have found those values and those qualities in the ethanol industry 
and and we're very pleased by that. We have, I can tell you, my member companies love hiring veterans uh, because of the work ethic, because of that sense of of team, because of the camaraderie, um, the the focus on mission. Uh, but the other thing I would say, Joe, real quickly, is and, and maybe you've seen this when you look at demographics of where people who serve come from disproportionately, they come from rural areas. Um, and so when those folks are leaving the military and they want to move back home uh, to the farm or to their rural community, uh, they're looking for good paying jobs. And that's where our industry is. Uh, we operate in those same communities uh, and it's just been a really great fit. And I would tell any veterans uh, listening to this or, or anybody who is active duty or is transitioning out of the military if you want a good job in in rural America, uh, look us up because we are we are growing uh, and we are certainly interested in hiring as many veterans as we can. Awesome, great info. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks for the info. Uh, great discussion of, on the ethanol industry. I, th- I found that fascinating. I've never had I've all, got a lot of questions answered that I've always wondered about with the uh, ethanol industry, and um, really very informative. So appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.